Hello, and welcome to The Bucket Problem, episode 34. I am your host, Alex Cook. You might be wondering where your typical host, Ace Ambender, is. Let's just say that he has been deposed, that there is a new regime in town to talk Michigan football, men's basketball, women's basketball, other Ann Arbor things. You know, we could talk about the art fair. We could talk about, you know, Zingerman's versus Maize and Blue. Uh, it is just me today. Um, Dan and Connor have been as, as allies and um, collaborators with the previous regime have been exiled to a work camp uh, in the dude on North campus. So uh, it'll be just me today. And we'll be talking about Michigan basketball. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, Oh, Ace, Ace. Uh, Good to see you. Um, Did you, did you manage to escape the uh, legendary, um, caverns in the stacks you know it, it it had been a while since i had been in the stacks because even as a student i did not go there so it took a little longer than normal for me to get back here but i i'm almost made it in time for recording and i do resent you greatly for putting me that close to academia again yeah well i figured of all of the places we could have gone on campus that was the one where i could have perhaps given you a, a taste of a rare amontillado and slowly close you amongst <laughs> the shelves but uh welcome back what is your big mood this lovely february uh, evening well much like alex counted me out from this podcast a little bit too early i am not uh counting out michigan basketball teams too early and i'm and i'm glad that i did not do that Earlier this season or even earlier these past couple weeks, depending on the team, um, because fortunes change rather quickly. Uh, In early January, Michigan was coming off of three consecutive losses, all of them some degree of pretty terrible. And uh, even in uh, some private bucket problem discussions, I won't name names. Uh, damn. Uh, but uh, some of us were saying that uh, Michigan would not even make the NIT uh, with this team. Meanwhile, the women's basketball team had gone from being the leader in the Big Ten to losing back to back games and was being written out of the Big Ten title picture by uh, a number of people. Once again, Dan. Um, then, Dan uh, is taking some bullets from this podcast. Dan, not being Dan's here. not here. <laughs> Dan so he is, just has to eat this. Yeah, he's lost <laughs> on North Campus right now. Yes. Uh, you know, Indiana loses to a Nebraska team that, uh, incidentally, had beaten Michigan earlier this year, and and suddenly this is looking like a, a nearly dead heat to the finish line again. And in fact, Ohio State may be the team to beat instead of Indiana. Um, depending on how the Hoosiers do in back-to-back games against Iowa. So, I don't know, Michigan basketball, the men's team suddenly is, you know, it took one win against Purdue, and they're, you know, at least projected to be on the right side of the bubble. Uh, The current brackets don't necessarily have them in, but as we'll discuss later, there are a lot of opportunities to rack up wins going forward, uh, quality wins, and... For the women's team, uh, they just have to buckle down, hopefully get Leah Brown back from what I'm guessing is an ankle sprain. Uh, They're just calling it a lower leg injury. Um, But she's been in a boot the last three games. Michigan's lost two of them. But they they have opportunities to still take the first Big Ten title in program history. So uh, I'm glad I did not discount these things um, because usually – 
my general approach to sports is that things are never quite as good or bad as they seem. And picking uh, the lowest point in the season as the, as the point to forecast from is often, uh, uh, often leads to some regrettable uh, opinions. So you're saying that my take uh, a while back, um, I remember a specific audio clip on this very podcast of me laughing and saying this teammate making the tournament. Um, you're saying that I was wrong about that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, at yeah, least you were never wrong on this tournament. In yeah, we're never wrong on this tournament <laughs> on this podcast, of course. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, I figured you know we could run back some of the magic of the Tommy Amaker years by going on a nice NIT run, kind of maybe some seasoning for the younger players. But you know, I re- I remember those runs fondly, <laughs> or at yeah, least the first I mean, one. <laughs> we we were a very sports crazed family, and we loved Michigan. So when my brother and I were in elementary school, we filled out brackets for the NIT just so we could like see like oh that's what it looks like for Michigan to advance. So yeah, the success of the Beeline and. So far, the Juwan, Juwan era, beyond our wildest dreams. Um, yeah, I think Michigan, you know, obviously far from a lock to get in the tournament, but sitting in pretty good position right now. I do think that they have played better, and uh, we'll see how it shakes out. Likewise, you know, I don't know if this really translates the way it does for the men's game, so let me know if I'm wrong here. But I think uh, the women's team's legacy will be written in March playing some NCAA tournament home games that should be a great atmosphere there uh, have the potential to go as far as any team has gone in program history. Um, the big 10 title chase matters and it's, you know, it's very important, especially, you know, hoisting those banners and Chrysler is, is awesome from the men's or women's program. Um, but yeah, I think the ladies, they're going to be potentially in the final four, in which case, you know, losing out on the big 10 title by a game might not matter as much in the end. Yeah. You could certainly get a uh, 2013 men's basketball type scenario where you get the, um, in the men's case, it was the first deep run at a long time. In the women's case, it would just be the first deep run ever. Um, But if you do that in the NCAA tournament, then I think people are going to be uh, more forgiving uh, if they falter down the stretch and, and don't take a big 10 title that, looked like they had it not exactly wrapped up, but that they had the inside track to it. But um, yeah. And that would be tough. I I think though, yeah, to your point, um, those faults and those setbacks seem to be forgotten over time. Like as we look back at the 2013 team, we don't remember, Hey, they lost to Penn state on the road or Hey, they didn't get a double buy in the big 10 tournament. Um, Didn't matter. This would be like, if that team had lost, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. or something like that for a few games uh, down the stretch when it was, uh, you know, most critical to pull out some wins. Uh, so, and, and Michigan may also uh, get a little bit unlucky in terms of if Michigan loses the conference by um, no games in the loss column and one game in the win column to Ohio State because uh, Illinois' schedule got too full to reschedule what would have been a guaranteed win for Michigan. They got wiped out because of uh, a snowstorm preventing them from traveling to the game. Uh, yeah, uh, that I think people would be relatively forgiving about um, not being able to raise that particular banner and then holding on, out hope for hopefully a nice Big Ten tournament run and uh, definitely um, an NCAA tournament run. Uh, fingers crossed that Michigan hangs on to a two seed because it'd be awesome to see um, home court NCAA tournament games, which I kind of wish they'd do 
in the men's tournament, but they don't. Um, but getting a top two seed in the, in the women's NCAA tournament means you host the first two rounds at your home arena. And, uh, yeah, seeing Chrysler, um, hopefully packed for some women's NCAA tournament games would be phenomenal. We could even call it March madness. Now the NCAA has been so kind to, uh, bestow that upon, uh, both men's and women's basketball this year. Uh, anyway, Alex, what is your big boot of the week? My big mood is seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, baby. <laughs> you all know what that's like, I assume. Um, and yeah, we can move on. So Michigan, since the last time we recorded, it, probably I would three games, right? Ohio yeah. State, Purdue, and Penn State. That sounds right. And uh, yeah, if we didn't talk about the uh, first Purdue loss, who cares? We played them again since then. So whatever. Yeah, it's like that game didn't even happen. Um, yes. They, they, they took one, which is what matters. Um, so Michigan has uh, squeaked by Penn State in a, in a game that, that did feature at least a, a pretty critical uh, scheme change for Michigan. We will get to that. Then Michigan blows out Purdue in the Chrysler Center with just a, a torrent of three-pointers. And then Michigan turns around and loses a pretty hideous game against Ohio State in which uh, a total of four players on both teams combined uh, finish with double-digit points. So uh, it, only one of them did it uh, with any particular efficiency, <laughs> maybe two. Uh, no, one, because uh, EJ Liddell was one for five from three. Good Lord. Uh, really bad basketball game. Michigan versus Ohio State, and that is the one we're going to lead off with um, because it is freshest in our minds. This was just, I don't know, like I I hate making excuses. This did feel like a Michigan team that was playing its fourth game in seven days. (laughs) You know, yeah, this loss didn't really bother me. Like I got frustrated during a few losses this season, but I think Michigan's defense was, again, pretty good. Um, I actually watched this game at a bar, so I didn't like watch as closely as I usually do, Um, you know, I still paid attention, but all American performance from Liddell, honestly, I think he's probably one of the best players in the country. Um, He would get my vote for big Ten player of the year after that particular game. Mm -hmm. Uh, And meanwhile, Michigan four of 17 from three, not going to win that way when you're playing against a good team whose best player is playing really well. And is in fact, the best player on the floor, likewise, you know, Michigan's offense, pretty ugly, pretty awful, but in a, in a, better way I think than (laughs) earlier in the season if that makes sense like Michigan was running good looks and getting open shots they weren't jogging through sets or you know failing to take advantage of you know the strengths of the personnel but yeah they they missed a lot of open shots they missed shots around the rim against a team without a real rim protector and I think if you run it back I feel pretty decent again about Michigan's odds against Ohio State I think that's a good team but like yeah, it kind of kind of goes to show how Michigan's offense can just completely disappear at times. Like, yeah, of the three games we're talking about, Penn State, terrible game for Michigan's offense. <laughs> Ohio State, awful game for Michigan's offense. Um, and Purdue, who granted has a, a pretty bad defense for a, a top, you know, two or three seed type team. Uh, Purdue, Michigan lit them up like a Christmas tree. So, you know, in the midst of that, you know, Michigan's like, top 25 and adjusted offensive efficiency, which is good, but there is some, some killer variants in there. And I yeah. think the Ohio state game 
yeah, I mean, shoot. I, I don't think they shoot four of 17 again from three if they play again. Or maybe they do. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it definitely could. <laughs> it's happen. on the table. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, this isn't a killer shooting team most of the time, no, but I mean, definitely not. Um, one for four from Caleb Houston on a number of good looks, 0 for three from Devontae Jones when he's normally been hitting them. Hunter Dickinson follows up his best three point shooting performance by not hitting any on two attempts. Um, and you get Eli Brooks hitting three of seven, but that's about like that's it in terms of three point shooting threats. You got one attempt from Terrence Williams, and nobody else even takes one. Um, and I think we'll get into this, or maybe we'll just get into it right now. But Michigan's bench is providing so little offense right now that the margin of error for the starters is just remarkably thin. So I think, I mean, like you said, it's it felt like Michigan was running better offense than what they ran earlier in the season. Um, you've you've got this team kind of establishing an identity around the Devontae Jones, Hunter Dickinson pick and roll um, and some high-low stuff with Dickinson and Diabate. And crucially, Dickinson's playing away from the basket and using his passing ability to find cutters and shooters. And Diabate is more of a role man or a guy who you might post up on the baseline for a touch. Uh, for, yeah, regarding the bench, you can maybe expect a couple buckets from them. Maybe. In total, in a <laughs> yeah, game. Like, period. Not, not good. And yeah, I do think Michigan was running better offense, and I think that this was part of the plan. But um, I don't know if Michigan's offense is at its best when Eli Brooks is the main character of the offense, like he kind of was at times against Ohio State. Um, I think Hunter Dickinson is a guy who you just really, really have to lean on. And Brooks is, you know, at his best when he's um, – you know, playing kind of off of residual action. So yeah. I think that that was one maybe notable thing about um, Michigan's performance against Ohio State. Uh, again, Eli Brooks is Michigan's probably second best player, and he had a great second half against Purdue. So I don't necessarily think it was the wrong idea to go with that, but it kind of reminds me of, you know, how they played earlier in the season where it was just kind of like, Eli, go do something. In this in this game, Michigan, you know, planned to get Brooks good looks, but yeah, not super efficient. Dickinson was not as involved against a team with a, you know, smaller, not as defensively strong front court. And yeah, I don't know. I think part of that was maybe Ohio State deploying some different like ball screen coverages, switching screens, trying to negate Dickinson in ways that I, you know, might not have noticed in the on the first watch, but. Yeah, that's kind of my takeaways, you know, with regards to Michigan's offense. Yeah, EJ Liddell also just seems exhausting to play against. And when Dickinson wasn't playing against him, he was getting a, a fresh Zed Key or, or Kyle Young. So meanwhile, Dickinson's logging 36 minutes. And this this was one where it just felt like his, uh, you know, he was 7 for 15 on twos. And it kind of just felt like he was missing some shots that normally you expect to go down. And uh, again, you know you don't want to throw up too many excuses for a team that has been quite inconsistent all season, but um, Dickinson has been fairly consistent with his, with his production and to see him have a game like that. uh, And also for him to not log any assists. um, Now, some of that was due to Michigan's tremendously poor outside shooting, but uh, it just felt like he got run into the ground a little bit by the end of this game. Um, both in terms of what he'd done earlier in the week and then playing 36 minutes in this one uh, against Liddell. 
Yeah, and uh, speaking of other things that I was wrong about in the past, I think Devontae Jones has routed into a, a pretty solid point guard for Michigan this season. Um, eight points, eight assists, 10 rebounds, including five offensive rebounds. Which is against, Yeah, against Ohio State. So got to tip my cap there to Devontae. I thought Michigan's defense was pretty good, and it's just, yeah, EJ Liddell, he's, he's a bucket problem. He is he is so tough to guard and yeah, sometimes he, you know, can beat everybody you throw at him in a given game and you just kind of got to tip your cap at that point. Yeah. I mean, Liddell scores 28. Nobody on the hills on Ohio state has more than 12. And when he's hitting shots at the difficulty he was making, and then you get a, full, a few couple triples and a, and some nice pull up jumpers from Cedric Russell, um, getting a career high 12 as a senior, you don't necessarily expect that off the bench from the opponent. And that, that was kind of that, that in and of itself was sort of enough for Ohio state. Um, yeah. Because- Cedric Russell was one of the up transfer guards that came into the big 10 this year, along with Tyson Walker and Devonte Jones. And yeah, kind of a marginal role at Ohio state hurts to see him put in 12 points, but yeah, it really was the Waddell show. Um, and for the record, I think Devontae Jones was the best of those up transfers, so that's nice. Yeah, no, I'm not going to argue with you there. Uh, Michigan, just to cap this off, ended up with uh, four bench points in, let's see, um, that is 29 bench minutes, I believe. Uh, sorry, 31. Brutal. And all, all of those Michigan's number six, seventh, eighth, and ninth man, they were all top 100 recruits. So it's, and it's tough. It places a lot of strain on the starters. Like Houston didn't play well against Ohio State. Commentators have been calling it out during broadcast, but it's like, that's a guy that Michigan needs to play at least pretty well to have a shot against, you know, upper tier teams. And Ohio State, you know, surefire NCAA tournament team, sweet 16 potential, really good star player. Like, it doesn't hurt as bad to drop a team, drop a game to a team like that versus like Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Especially when it's, it's just a bad shooting night for your team. Like it, it was for Michigan. Um, it's, it's a little easier to take that, especially considering uh, they were coming off a um, resume bolstering eighty-two uh, fifty-eight crushing of a top five Purdue team at the Chrysler center, uh, Michigan, uh, at least, you know, Jaden Ivey gets 18 points, but he has no assists and five turnovers. He had absolutely demolished Michigan out of the ball screen in the first matchup between these teams. But um, Michigan does the sensible thing and drops their big man uh, <laughs> this time around. And Ivey had some some trouble with uh, Michigan's size at the basket, um, had at least one shot uh, pretty emphatically blocked by Hunter Dickinson. Um and Dickinson has twenty in a, you know, a relatively efficient twenty-two points, uh, especially considering he's going against uh, Zach Eady for part of it, and he forces Eady into early foul trouble, which ends up uh, limiting Purdue quite a bit. And Michigan goes twelve for twenty-one from beyond the arc, uh, in large part because Dickinson is absolutely dealing uh, from the post. Um, this was also a big Devonte Jones game. It just. Uh, a really solid all around offensive effort. It's hard not to to have that when you score 1.3 points per possession. And the zone that carried over from the Penn state game was uh, pretty effective against Purdue as well. 
Yeah, it was uh, interesting to see how Jawan changed Michigan's defensive approach because they found a little bit of success in that first Purdue matchup, heating up the ball in the backcourt with one, two, two press, you know, trapping because they're like, hey, we can't guard these guys. Um, in the rematch in Chrysler, that was a dominant performance by Michigan, like both ends of the floor and against, you know, a very good team. So it's nice to see that that's where the ceiling is because we hadn't seen anything like that really from this team to that point. Uh, Dickinson in that game was the best player on the floor. He, um, yeah, like you said, played Edie off the floor with some foul trouble, really showcased his offensive game and, you know, kind of leveraged his shooting ability in, in a game where he knocked down a couple threes to, open up, you know, lanes for Diabate to cut to the basket. And yeah, Purdue's defense is pretty poor. Um, Edie and Williams are not very good defenders, frankly, um, because they're so slow. And that's probably why they don't tend to play together. But Michigan was so good and was so entrenched in that 2-3 that Matt Painter did actually try them playing together for um, an extended stretch after the game had kind of gotten out of hand a little bit. Uh the two, three was interesting too, because Michigan was like aggressively trapping Ivy on the perimeter and pretty much ignoring Purdue's power forwards um, who, who both played pretty poorly. I would say uh, Gillis and um, gosh, the freshman whose name is escaping me first uh, cheated off of them, loaded up on Ivy. Ivy had to really work for his points and, you know, Purdue is at its best when other guys are getting involved, you know, people are knocking down threes, but yeah, Michigan's 2-3 was working really, really great in that game. And I don't know if Michigan is best as a team that plays like 2-3 as their base defense, but we've been seeing it a lot more. And it's nice. It, it keeps Dickinson near the hoop. Um, Michigan actually seems to go to man um, out of the zone pretty easily, which is nice that they can kind of, you know, if they notice that the opponent is like overloading a side or, you know, that there's a bad cross match, they can kind of revert to man to man, but uh, there are definitely advantages to playing the zone. I think you can, um, you know, sometimes you can defend the three point line better playing a zone. I think it's definitely harder to score at the rim against the zone. Um, Teams can break it if they figure out the formula. And I think if Ivy had a rematch against Michigan, um, bringing a wing across the court to send a hard double, which like never happens in college. That's like a a tactic you see when um, NBA all-stars are playing well. Uh, I think Purdue would probably be better prepared for that. I think Michigan had the element of surprise in that uh, rematch, Mm -hmm. but that's, you know, to Juwan Howard's credit. And yeah, when there's a three point shooting discrepancy, like there was, I mean, that's, you know, enough to, yeah, blow out status, rushing the floor, I got to say, I want to contribute to the rushing the floor discourse here real quick. Um, That was the first time Michigan had rushed the floor since I was in high school, which was over 10 years ago. And I can't think of a better experience for the kids that went to the game, probably went to other home games this year. Teams have been pretty disappointing um, to knock off a top five team at home and like really beat them. Um, that was the first time Chrysler has been alive in a long time. And I think, yeah, you know, those kids and their college experience, uh, they'll look back on that and really be glad that they, they had that. They got to rush the, the field against Ohio state back in November, rushing the court, uh, February against Purdue. I think that's great. Yeah. If you're uh bitter about that, you need to find better things to be angry about. 
Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things to be angry about in the world, so don't pick that. And uh, yeah, I mean, let people live. Uh, yeah, right. Let the kids have some fun. Um, uh, people like to just be angry online about things, which I I've never been mad online, so no. I can't really relate to that. I haven't ever gotten upset about politics on Twitter, things of that nature. Um, yeah. Anyways, I think we've kind of lost the plot there. Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to try to reel it back to like what what you mentioned about. Uh, Michigan bringing their wings up to the level of the ball screen uh, out of the zone. Um, you can, you can see, and this this happened in the past with Michigan, also with their um, kind of morphing that zone into a man defense, depending on how what kind of look the opponent gives. And um, there's probably some rules that that initiate that switch uh, that are hard to pick up on or might change from game to game. But what what we've seen that gives me some hope that Michigan can be a primarily two, three zone defense uh, at least for the rest of this season uh, because it fits the personnel best is that it is not, you know, a, a, a basic, you know, video game two, three. Um, there are different ways that they're able to play it, different variations of it, different ways that they emphasize the, the rules for each player, you know, being in certain zones that um, can change based on what the opponent is showing you or their personnel, and hopefully we'll make it so that this is um, not as desperate of a move as it kind of looks on its face. Because, I mean, I think we've established at this point that uh, Michigan is not great at keeping the ball in front of them. So I guess one good way to, to kind of make that less of a problem is to have it not matter as much because you have guys permanently standing on the baseline. Yeah, and Michigan's baseline players in the two three, like you're looking at six eight Caleb Houston, seven one Hunter Dickinson, six ten ish Musa Diabate. Like that's some legit size. Like teams can shoot over Michigan's guards from the mid range, but um I think yeah, you know, activating those guys in the zone a little bit, like you'll look here, you know, people talk about Syracuse and yeah, I mean Jim Beheim hung on too long there, but they're like the mm-hmm. archetypal two three program. Uh, they play different versions of the zone. I think one thing that is kind of key that maybe didn't hurt Michigan against Purdue is that the zone is really, really bad at um, preventing offensive rebounds. Like it's harder to match up and box out and guys can get second chance buckets a lot easier um, against the zone. And Michigan's not a particularly great defensive rebounding team anyways, but I mean, yeah, Michigan, it wasn't maybe a, yeah, maybe it was a panic move against Penn State. I don't know. You can tell me, but um, it's you know they they weren't a good defensive team and they had to try something and it's looked better at times and I think they are playing it well. Um, likewise, a little bit of opportunistic pressure with Diabate at the top of a three quarter court press. Um, that's you know a different look. That's a change up that can maybe help you get a couple more stops than you otherwise would have. That might, you know, add up in a close game. So, I mean, I think I've seen, you know, I think the coaching has been pretty decent this year. I think there are definitely gripes that could be had here and there about certain things, but Michigan is finding an identity and that's, you know, defensively leaning on a little bit more zone. Um, Again, not, you know, maybe using that a vast majority of the time, but playing a little bit of man and zone, mixing it up, trying to force teams to, you know, identify and plan against different looks. And then offensively, yeah, I mean, playing through Hunter Dickinson at the top of the key uh, really 
kind of leaning on his shooting as a, a five out big um, inverting him <laughs> and Diabate and the, you know, two big lineups where Diabate is playing closer to the basket and Dickinson's making passes from the perimeter, you know, getting engaged, even popping out to the three point line and knocking down threes. Like, I think, um, you know, they, they are improving, which gives me hope as they kind of face this final gauntlet of high quality matchups that could make or break their resume. Absolutely. We should get to that Penn State game because it was uh, possibly a, a, the turning point of the season when we look back on it. We'll see. Uh, early in this game, Penn State is getting to the basket at will. Um, Sam Sessoms in particular is, is just working Michigan's guards off the dribble. Um, and Michigan is not getting a lot going on offense. Uh, they make that switch uh, to the 2-3, and Sesum finishes 5 for 17 from the field. Hunter Dickinson finishes with four blocks. And even though uh, Michigan does not shoot well at all in this game, um, this was a game that was mostly decided, at least for Michigan, by, um, in addition to defense, uh, offensive rebounding and not turning the ball over. Um, both teams had just seven turnovers in this game. So this was a fairly straightforward, um, can anybody score uh, type of game. And Michigan gets just enough um, to eke past a, a pretty crappy Penn State team. But um, hey, you can't, just walk in, made, you, know, you can't just walk into the Bryce Jordan Center and expect to walk out with a win. Michigan State learned that the hard way. And so did the um, 2013 Michigan teams. So. Yeah, right. And yeah, I mean, you know, the decision to switch to zone, which completely um, befuddled the Penn state offense. Like they went from scoring like 1.3 to 1.5 points for possession. I don't know the exact number um, in like the first third of the game to like probably 0.6 or 0.7 after that switch to the zone. So they had um, 34 points with three and a half minutes left in the first half and they finished with 57. Yeah, and that included a little bit of end of game fouling and a uh, three pointer by Miles Dread that actually covered the points for <laughs> the Penn <spread>. State. That <laughs> was brutal beat if you had Michigan there. I'm so I was scared. actually chatting with a, a buddy of mine, like catching up a college friend uh, before the game, and towards the end of the call, it's like, okay, we've got to kind of wrap this up. The game's about to start. He's like, so should I throw some money? Michigan minus two and a half. What do you think? I'm like, yeah, why not? Like. We're, <laughs> doing okay like i mean penn state's pretty garbage and then yeah just a, a brutal he beat for him learned why not in the most unfortunate way yeah, possible that, that's tough um michigan's offense did play really bad in this game and they they were lucky to escape with a win um they kind of seems like they played down to the level of their competition sometimes i think that's a trend that i've noticed you know even though they are winning um in the last month i think uh yeah de- you know depending on how this season shakes out People are probably going to forget that Penn State game. People are probably going to forget the uh, Kase Tominaga technical that <laughs> saved Michigan's season at home against the Nebraska. real turning point. Yeah, the real turning point. Like, you know, real Michigan basketball heads like 10 years from now are going to reference Kase Tominaga and be like, you know what? That's, you know, that Sweet 16 run, that would have never happened if that if that dude didn't go absolutely wild after a, a horrible no call. <laughs> ridiculous not <laughs> call. <laughs> yeah. And a ridiculous reaction. Just yes. overall 10 out of 10. Delightful. Um, yeah. Great stuff. Uh, the Penn State game, not great stuff. That was a really frustrating game. Uh, Penn State is a team that, like, 
Shrewsbury is like taking over for Chambers, who's been there for or who was there for a long time, and kind of remaking the program in this image. Had a lot of carryovers from last year's roster, so I don't know if this is going to change in the future. But Penn State is just a team that mucks it up. Like bet the under against Penn State. They are very Big Ten, winning on the road there kind of a funky environment you know with it being so empty and quiet um so that the the broadcast mics pick up like three or four student hecklers behind the that was a really the, annoying view the commentators experience. they've been doing that i swear for, for like every penn yeah, state game decades. for years and like i remember one time john shade got really mad at it on twitter during a loss to penn state and um i thought that was hilarious but Anyways, didn't plan on bringing up John Shea during this podcast. Uh, <laughs> here we are. Um, here we are. Um, Penn State, you... 14th at average possession length, um, second in the Big Ten in two-point defense, and pretty crappy at everything else. Mediocre to crappy at literally everything else. So that is a team that is just trying to pull you down into like a higher variance, um, low-scoring, just uh, slog. And they've yeah. been pretty good. They just did it to Michigan State. Uh, they did. So yeah. uh, a 62-58 win over the Spartans at home in a 61-possession game. Gross, but effective. Um, That's Penn State basketball. Gross, usually not effective, but sometimes. Yeah. Um, John, against you. Yeah, yeah, John Hara has to show up on the uh, the most Big Ten, Big Ten team. Um, yes, they're going to be putting together because <laughs> I mean, honestly, like credit to him. He really, you know, he's a limited player in a lot of ways, but yeah, plays with so much effort, like pretty decent and uh, ultimate Big Ten tryhard center. I mean, I, I think a certain young man from Northwestern will be will be arguing there. But uh, yes, he, he is uh, a, a prototypical tryhard. <laughs> All right, before we get to uh, looking ahead to Iowa and Wisconsin uh, and looking around at the Big Ten and Michigan's turning chances, uh, it's time to pay some bills. Uh, we are brought to you, as always, uh, by our OG sponsor, Home Field Apparel. Uh, use the promo code BUCKETPROBLEM for 15% your first order from homefieldapparel.com. They have the best licensed collegiate apparel around. It is season three of Big News Saturday. It's basketball-themed. Uh, since we last uh, spoke to you, South Carolina and North Carolina State uh, have dropped. I have a uh, South Carolina Gamecocks uh, oatmeal-colored sweatshirt on my bed right now that just came in. Uh, next up is Illinois, uh, so I hope they have a 2021 Big Ten uh, men's basketball champion shirt in there. And uh, they also have new stickers, including um, Slippery Rocks Pimp Rock and uh, Blaster the Burrow from Colorado School of Mines. Uh, which would look phenomenal on the back of your laptop or on your water bottle or, you know, wherever else you decide to put a sticker, maybe your dog, you know, who knows? Um, so yeah, promo code bucket problem, 15% off your first order, homefieldapparel.com. Also um, download the points bet app and use the promo code bucket prop to get 100% of your deposit match up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, you must use the promo code bucket prob, that is bucket P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet what you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it and use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I will say that uh, um, we, we haven't been doing odds uh, because uh, it's a lot harder to do that during basketball season. But um, 
women's basketball futures are definitely a place you might want to look uh, if you are looking to maybe have a nice payday, an unexpected payday in the future, because um, some teams that are that maybe somewhat unexpectedly moved up into uh, the top five or like Michigan uh, made a push into the top 10 uh, after being outside of that to start the season. There, there's been a pretty significant lag um, in sports books keeping up. So like, I believe the last time I checked, Michigan was a plus 3,500. Um, that was their odds to win the NCAA title. And that is not commensurate with their chances right now. Um, got some other ones, uh, NC state and Louisville. I have some, a uh, little bit of money down on because, uh, the price was very right getting, considering how good those teams are. Um, meanwhile, uh, UConn team that has been very injured, um, throughout the season is generally at the very top of the odds lists on a lot of books because they just kind of expect people to pick them. Um, and also because, uh, they're not paying attention. So yeah, go do that. Um, Back to men's hoops. Michigan has a very critical stretch coming up, um, particularly in these back-to-back road games at Iowa uh, on Thursday evening, uh, which is probably, uh, hopefully you're listening to this before that game. Um, and then Wisconsin on Sunday. Um, based on Bart Torvik's uh, tourney cast and stuff like that, um, you can feel a whole lot better about Michigan's NCAA tournament chances if they win at least one of these games. If they drop both of them, uh, it's a serious lost opportunity, and Michigan is probably, at least for the moment, sitting very much on the wrong side of the bubble. But if they can take one of these games, and these are two teams that um, are good but vulnerable, um, then I I think you'd start feeling pretty good about Michigan's tournament chances, even if it's not the like 90 ish percent that you get uh in the projections if you turn the at least one of those into wins um because there's still some you know bid stealing funkiness bubble bursting in the the conference tournaments whatever it's a factor in and michigan just does not have a large number of wins (laughs) but this is a great opportunity to pick up a, a quality one on the road whether it's against uh Iowa's very Iowa-ish defense or against a Wisconsin team that quite frankly has been playing a bit above its head this season. Yeah, I haven't watched a ton of Iowa this year, but they indeed are super Iowa. Like Fran McCaffrey's been there long enough where he's just established a very solid identity for that program, which is to say very skilled offense. You know, they tend to rely on a, a volume scoring star, in this case, Keegan Murray, who has admirably stepped up to kind of shoulder the load after program legend Luca Garza left Uh, really good offense um, proportionally bad defense. I would say Uh, very permissive. um, Not a lot of like typically not a super athletic team defensively uh, definitely can be exposed on that end. And also a very small team often. They will play Keegan Murray at center. Yeah, and that's not typical for a Fran McCaffrey team that, you know, typically he likes to have multiple bigs, but Jack Nungy, who transferred to Xavier and is having a really good season, um, wanted to be closer to home, big hit to the depth chart there, still making it work. Jordan Bohannon is still somehow there. I remember watching him put up like 
10 made threes against Maryland who had like clearly given up um, in a game, obviously not a great read on Iowa there, but yeah, I think that this is a game where, you know, Michigan can kind of lean on their big men. And if Musa Diabate is gobbling up offensive rebounds and Hunter Dickinson is just putting Iowa's, you know, smallish big men in the torture chamber. um, I like Michigan's chances to kind of stage an upset here. And Iowa is dead last in the conference in defensive rebounding percentage. Um, they also send opponents to the line, uh, second most frequent frequent of uh, any Big Ten defense. Um, not a tremendous three point defense. I mean, it's Iowa. Um, so the thing you got to look out for is turnovers. They are best in the conference at forcing them, um, but they are still eighth in the conference in defensive efficiency. They're just um, when they're not kind of aggressively jumping passing lanes, uh, aggressively going after the ball. Uh, I mean, this is a team that's going to likely switch a lot um, because of their lack of size um, and the relative, I mean, they're, they're three or four, four, three or four wing size guys on the floor at any given time are around the same size. So uh, even their center, Philip Robacha is only six nine two thirty. So he's about the same size as Keegan Murray just uh, significantly less athletic. Um, so it, it, this does feel like a game where if you can get Dickinson and Diabate going down low, um, you might be able to overwhelm Iowa. At the same time, uh, if Michigan is playing some sloppy ball, uh, Iowa is not just first in forcing turnovers, they're the best offense in the league at not committing turnovers. So you got to really watch for... Um, allowing them to open up a possession gap. Uh, yeah. You can't afford that against Iowa. Um, it is, it is one of those games where I don't believe that three point shooting is truly random. Um, I think that there are a lot of confounding factors for mm-hmm. how well a team can shoot for three, but Iowa is a team that historically and this year gives up a lot of great looks from three. Michigan is a team that's very capable of bricking a lot of good looks from three. If that happens, Michigan's probably going to lose. Um, I don't, you know, necessarily feel like Iowa is going to blow away Michigan's defense, though it could very well happen. Like Keegan Murray is a guy who can play a little bit like EJ Liddell, and he obviously had, had a great game against Michigan. Um, Iowa's a team that you try to beat 85 to 80 instead of like, say, Penn State, where you try to beat them 55 to 50. So probably going to be a higher tempo, probably going to be some good back and forth. I think there's pretty good chance Michigan could have one or potentially multiple guys who go off and score 20 points, but you know, it is going to be a game where Michigan's two, three defense is probably going to get tested a little bit and they're going to have to slow down a guy who's probably an NBA player um, and a very high scorer this year. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how Michigan approaches playing defense against the Hawkeyes because obviously Iowa is um, I mean very perimeter centric uh, they can they have a lot of good outside shooters and playing a 2-3 against that might be playing with fire a little bit but if you switch out of that and go more heavily to man the man I'm not sure who Michigan puts on Keegan Murray uh, I would guess Musa Diabate uh, but that's that might be asking a lot of Diapate uh, for as talented as he is um, to play against 
uh, a true wing and a big wing um, who also outweighs him. Um, yeah, could be, I don't could be tough. Uh, don't but, think that's going to go well. Yeah, I mean, I think Diabate is very capable of getting some stops, but he's too foul prone. Like I think you know, pretty consistently for him, you're just kind of bracing him to take two or three fouls to defending a guy like that. Yeah. But I mean, if your other option is Caleb Houston, uh, I, I don't know what you do if you're Juwan Howard. Yeah. And I mean, two power forwards on the bench, you probably give them a shot, but you know, frankly, not expecting a whole lot of production on the other end from <laughs> yeah, them at this point. We've, we've been talking about how bad the bench has been and uh, both Brandon Johnson, Terrence Williams have not been uh, defying that by putting a lot of points in the, on, in the box score. We'll put it that way. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, they could be better in bigger roles, but yeah, both under five points per game this year. So Michigan's going to probably have to let their starters go to work. Although I do think that Iowa is a team where, you know, hopefully somebody gets hot off the bench. I think that would be nice to have a little bit of scoring punch. Absolutely. Um, Michigan's following game is in the Cole Center. Uh, not normally a fun place to play. Um, and But Wisconsin has dropped two conference home games so far, and one of those was to Rutgers uh, on Saturday. So this is not a team that is uh, overwhelming, as, as we said, despite them already reaching 20 wins. They are 20-5, and five, um, but only ranked 31st on Ken Palm because uh, they are just doing an exquisite job of pulling games out of their ass. Um, including a, a late December stretch where they beat uh, Nichols State by three points and Illinois State by four, both at home. Uh, so th- this is a team that can play up with just about anybody and can play down with just about anybody. That is in large part because uh, other than sophomore uh, star Johnny Davis, um, who's uh, the numbers don't really do justice to the job that guy has to do carrying this offense. Um, there isn't really another uh, particularly frightening uh, offensive player on this team unless you consider uh, what Brad Davison does with his elbows. Uh, so, I mean, this is an offense that currently ranks eighth in efficiency in the Big Ten. They are dead last in three-point shooting. They are shooting just over 30% from beyond the arc in Big Ten games, um, below 50% on twos. Uh, they're they're not a good offensive team uh, and they're merely a good defensive team, not a great defensive team. They do not have um, a terrifying rim protector, which you sometimes run into with Wisconsin's big men. There isn't anything like that here. Tyler wall is their leading shot blocker. Uh, So I don't know. Um, I feel better than I probably should about Michigan's chances of going into the Cole center and getting a win against this team again, because it feels like, um, even though Wisconsin at least has a couple of seven footers, they're kind of just there. <laughs> and I, I think uh, this could be a game for a, a, another big game for Hunter Dickinson um, where Michigan should be able to run their offense how they want. And with Dickinson's added uh, perimeter game right now, that could give Wisconsin a lot of trouble. Yeah, um, I guess unlike you, I never feel good about a game heading into the Cole Center. That's totally um, fair. <laughs> I think, I yeah, I said earlier in the podcast that you can't just walk into the Bryce Jordan Center and walk out with a win. That's not actually true of the Bryce Jordan Center, but it is very much true of the Cole Center. 
Uh, yeah, on the other hand, though, Wisconsin is a team that you would think to fade during NCAA tournament time. Um, a classic team whose computer rankings don't match up to the actual results that they've had on the floor, a lot of which you know, kind of comes from the margin aware nature of those rankings where, you know, it perhaps correctly assesses a team that wins a lot of close games, but loses a couple of huge blowouts to be worse than a team that consistently wins pretty comfortably. Um, By that token, Wisconsin also has a guy who's capable of being the best player on the floor and Johnny Davis, also a guy who Michigan doesn't really have, you know, an ideal stopper for him. Uh, he is like, he wins uh, the Big Ten Sisyphus Award for this year <laughs> in terms of just like, yeah, he has to push the the rock up the hill pretty much um, at least a third, probably more of the possessions when he's on the floor. And uh, he's pretty good at it. He's played his way into the first round of NBA draft mocks. He's probably going to become a millionaire playing basketball. Frankly, when he went... As I think it was like Jonathan Davis's, you know, freshman year on campus. Mm-hmm. We were like, Jonathan Davis, you know, kind of nice prospect, but you know, just but a role Johnny player. Davis like, is a baller. <laughs> yeah, Johnny Davis is incredible. So I don't, I don't know if um, changing your name makes you way better at basketball, but uh, it's a theory worth looking into for for Johnny Davis. And yeah, I mean, beyond that, um, I think I said, you know, when we were chatting before the podcast, like Wisconsin's two through eight in their rotation are about as good as we thought they would be when um, we kind of forecast them as an NIT team in the preseason. And they, you know, frankly, were not very good last year, despite having a really veteran team, um, well-publicized chemistry issues with the coaching staff, but they got off to a great start this year. Davis was, um, he was a bucket from the beginning of the season and uh, they've put together a really good resume where they will deserve to be a protected seed in the tournament. Um, would I pick them to make the final four? No. Mm, would I no. pick them to win a February game at the Cole center against literally anybody? Uh, yeah, but I don't know. You, I mean, they definitely are more vulnerable than like, say the really, really good Wisconsin teams we've seen that yet yeah, they just suffocate you defensively. Like this team isn't that, um, to your point, their big men are just kind of there uh, and not much like explosiveness and shot making from the guards. But when you have Johnny Davis, it really elevates everybody else. They, you know, a guy like Brad Davison, you know, when he's your primary scoring option, things are going to be pretty rough. But when he can play off of a guy like Davis, he's way better. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I think combined probability wise, like, I think that it's likelier that Michigan drops both than wins both. But I think, you know, between Iowa's poor defense, Wisconsin, maybe not being as good as their record or their AP poll ranking, I think Michigan could could definitely get that key resume win. And I don't know, maybe we can talk a little bit about this, but uh, just by virtue of playing in a conference like the Big Ten, like Michigan got a lot of their games against bad teams out of the way early, but you know, if you play in a mid-major conference and you drop a bad game, there's not really a chance to rehab your resume like a high-major team can. Like, um, for, you know, one-bid leagues, you know, if a team is really dominant in the regular season but face plants in the conference tournament, they're screwed. Um, 
on the other side, Michigan can afford several bad performances. They can afford a Q3 loss against Minnesota, which was their first Q3 loss since 2018. And you look at the end of the schedule, there's so many opportunities for those like valuable quad one wins where a win at Iowa or a win at Wisconsin would be the best win on a lot of teams' resumes that are, you know, potentially on the outside of looking into the bubble. Um, yeah, I mean, the only game of their last seven that's not a Q1 game is hosting Rutgers. Yeah, and Rutgers is terrifying. Like, they absolutely <laughs> they are. <laughs> they beat Michigan up in December at home. And, like, yeah, Steve Peichel, low-key one of the better coaches in the league. Like, I, you know, they lost two key players to transfers. They ate some bad non-conference losses, but they've been good in Big Ten play. So that's by by no means a gimme at home against Rutgers, but that's the easiest game left on the schedule. Yeah. Very quickly before we move on to um, swinging around the Big Ten, I uh, I just want to say that the, the Wisconsin game, I do feel better about Michigan's ability to utilize the 2-3 zone without getting burned from the perimeter, and that might be a way that they can um, kind of – force Johnny Davis into a game like Jaden Ivey had where he's going to get his, but um, maybe not in the most efficient way. And uh, Davis is Davis remarkably uh, his usage and efficiency and a minute and minutes played all go up um, when Wisconsin plays top 100 competition. Uh, his usage gets to nearly 34% uh, when in their tier a games on Ken Palm. And his offensive rating in those games is 115.6. Uh, that's uh, absurd. <laughs> his shootings, he's basically shooting 50, 40 to uh, 80 in those games. Uh, yeah, he's the little dot way off to the right side of the scatter plot where you're like, oh, who's that guy? Oh, it's Johnny Davis. Okay, that makes sense. He's really good. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he should be, um, even, even though his. Uh, overall season efficiency numbers don't necessarily shine. He's somebody who should very much be in the conversation for Big Ten Player of the Year. Um, and, and in a way that doesn't necessarily show up on the Kempom page, he's like clutched on the stretch. Like there's not many teams in college basketball where my advice would be to give the ball to their best player and then everybody else get out of the way. But Wisconsin's one of those teams and their record in close games is because they have a guy who's a legitimately really elite closer and i do want to just go back and uh read off the lat so since wisconsin beat ohio state by 10 in the Kohl center on january 13th um these have been their subsequent home games losing 86 to 74 to michigan state uh beating minnesota by six beating Penn State by two, um, 51 to 49 in a 61 possession game. Uh, never let those two teams play each other again. Good God. A historically just amazing combination of teams, Wisconsin yeah. and Penn State. Awful. And then losing 73-65 to Rutgers. Those are their four home games uh, since um, a statement win over Ohio State. So uh, this is a team that does seem to be coming back to earth even when they win. Uh, and I mean, they needed a pretty serious, a relatively hard charging comeback to beat Indiana on the road. And Indiana is not in a good place right now. And so we'll see. I mean, it is the Cole Center, but uh, Wisconsin sure feels vulnerable right now. And that could be a huge, um, probably uh, more of a resume booster than it should be, to be honest. Uh, let's get to the rest of the Big Ten. Um, 
Illinois, despite, uh, you know, missing both Andre Curbelo and Kofi Coburn for portions of this season has managed to go 11 and three so far and sit atop the conference. Uh, they're, I mean, Kofi's very good at being, at being big. Uh, and the, and they are playing very good team defense. So, I, I mean, yeah, one of few teams in the conference that's legitimately good on offense and defense. And I think that they're the big time's best candidate to go to the final four dominant big man guards who can get hot and create their own shots. Um, Trent Frazier is a guy who could, who could write a legacy in, uh, in March Madness this year. Yeah, he could also write like a war and peace length novel about his t- or book about his time in college. So yeah, he's probably, <laughs> he's been there since John gross, right? Like, yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, he's he's seen a lot of things, including a very hideous orange blazer. Um, yeah, he um he was on that uh, legendary Illinois team with um you know D Brown and Lutherhead and Darren Williams, <laughs> yeah, but he, he just was he was actually on the cover, cover of Slam Magazine. A uh, few people know this. Um, yeah, Purdue would be probably a lot of people's choice, but for um the best team in the big 10, the team most likely to be to make a deep run. They do have the number one offense in the country on Kempom, but that also means, uh, yeah, their, their defense is below a hundredth. And that's, um, I don't know. I, I just am very skeptical of a team that cannot play it's two of its three best players on the court at the same time. And, uh, but they're not so much. Yeah. But their best player is like truly great NBA prospect. Like he's probably going to be taken in the, Top five, six, yes. seven picks picks of the draft. Um, Jaden Ivey and guard play is important come March. I do think that a lot of teams, like matchup wise, are just gonna, you know, you have to guard Zach Eady and then they bring Travion Williams off the bench. Like, there's not a lot of teams in college basketball that can deal with that. But yes. yeah, on the other side of the floor, they are the proverbial Goliath that could be felled by a David because they don't play very good defense in large part because of those bigs who are. Not very mobile. Yeah. No, they are constantly stuck in drop and uh, not always getting out to guys. So No, and uh, we we did have to slander Purdue while Dan wasn't here. Um, we yeah, don't want anybody sticking up for the Boilermakers. Yeah. Um, speaking of Purdue, Ohio State uh, contending uh, because they're kind of a less extreme version of that. Uh, I just skipped over Wisconsin. They're 11-4 and four in the conference. We've talked enough about them. Uh, I... Of those top three teams, they are the least likely to uh, hold on to their standing. Um, Ohio State is there at nine and four. Um, Complicating this is the fact that a lot of teams have played different number of games uh, so far. But Ohio State, um, another team with a very good offense and uh, less great defense. We've talked about them a lot. EJ Liddell is extremely good. Um, I, yeah, and and I I have very little else to say about them. that we haven't already said Holman's good. Uh, that, that is Alex's note and it is correct. Um, all right. Alex had a, uh, had something come up here real quick. So I'm going to finish this out as, uh, efficiently as I can. Uh, Michigan state started eight and two in the big 10 has lost three of the last four. And uh, a lot of that is because they are pretty constantly losing the turnover battle. Uh, they are just an extremely gaff prone team. Uh, they are dead last to the Big Ten, turning the ball over on 20.3% of their possessions. Otherwise, they are an effective offense, uh, especially when they get out in the move. 
Um, they have uh, one of the stronger defenses in the Big Ten, although it, it is bolstered a little bit by what seems like some rather fortunate three-point luck and uh, free-throw defense, um, everybody's favorite. Uh, they're first in the Big Ten in free-throw defense. Um, so uh, that might bring them back to the pack a little bit. Seems like it already has in their last last four games. But um, a team that has uh, at least figured things out in terms of uh, how to attack on offense, uh, you know, they're living with a lot of turnovers, but they're they're effective at, at, at producing points otherwise. And, and given that this team did not really have, and still doesn't really have a, a true go-to guy. Um, I, I've been impressed with uh, what they've been able to make out of it. Um, so they have a really difficult closing stretch. Um, they've got Illinois, Iowa, and Purdue back to back to back coming up. Um, but um, I, I would say this has been a pretty impressive back, bounce back season for them, given uh what could have been um, after last year and uh, what they were bringing back. Uh, Rutgers, we mentioned, has won um, three games in a row heading into um, an Illinois game that is happening right now. Um, I have no idea how Steve Peichel is making this work, uh, but he is. And I, I mean, other than when they beat Michigan, I find it very entertaining. Um, the last three victims have been Michigan State, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. So uh, these are not fluke wins that they're putting up. They have one of the weirdest resumes in the country because uh, they have also lost to the likes of uh, DePaul, Lafayette, and Massachusetts, and uh, Minnesota, Maryland, and Penn State, the and Northwestern. The four, <laughs> every other worst team in the Big Ten except Nebraska, uh, and they have. Uh, two downright terrible losses on their non-conference slate and uh, another pretty bad one in DePaul. So it, it just, um, they have some of the best quality wins in the country and they, I, I don't think they're going to be able to make up for their uh, non-conference schedule, which is too bad because uh, it's fun to see Rutgers take teams into just a dog fight and uh, make them incredibly frustrated. Uh, finally, Indiana, has lost four games in a row. They blew second half leads against both Wisconsin and Northwestern in there. They had, um, I think either three or four players suspended, uh, in for that Northwestern game for, uh, some violation of team rules. Uh, this is pretty much just a trace Jackson Davis and race Thompson, uh, show with their guards, just trying not to screw it up. And that's a, that's a tough way to live. Um, everyone else in the conference somewhere between, uh, Kind of bad and uh, pretty bad. Uh, that would be uh, Northwestern, Penn State, Maryland, Minnesota, and pulling up the rear at 1-13 and 13 in the conference, Nebraska. Um, so that's your Big Ten overview. Uh, real quick, uh, Michigan's tournament outlook right now. Um, if you go to like the back bracket matrix, you're going to see them out of the field, and uh, I, I believe they're the first team out. Um, and that's, that's because tournament – brackets the way most people do them are done with the you know if the season ended today outlook and that makes them more useful as the year goes on but uh in mid-february not necessarily the most useful um we have talked about michigan's opportunity to rack up um quadrant one wins and uh those are those play a huge factor in uh making the tournament Michigan doesn't have many so far this year. They're going to have more. Um, so 
the projection-based brackets, like the one on Bart Torvik, um, have Michigan uh, holding a pretty good chance of making it um, around 70% right now. So was it winning one of these next two um, would be huge because uh, Michigan, even that 70% number, I, you know, you don't necessarily feel comfortable if Michigan is, is heading in with 17 wins to the Big Ten tournament. If they lose in the first round, that, that puts them right on the cutting line. So uh, hopefully they have a, you know, they, they win one more than anticipated, but that that's probably um, winning one of these games would, would maybe flip them closer to um, an 18 win regular season projection. And that would be pretty significant in terms of getting this team closer to the tournament. That's all we have for this week. Um, Sorry that Alex had to drop out a little bit early. Um, Follow at Bucket Problem on Twitter. Go to www. Go to www.thebucketproblem.com and subscribe to the newsletter and the podcast. Uh, there should be a uh, deep dive into Hunter Dickinson's uh, more complete, well-rounded offensive game up by the time you listen to this. Um, unless you're listening to this like right after I post it, then you might have to wait until the morning. Um, Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Use the promo code PucketProblem at homefieldapparel.com and the promo code PucketProb on PointsBet. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week.